Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Once again, I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Roger Corville. Roger was working for a startup that got bought by Microsoft, and then he and four others left Microsoft to go and start their own company with a bunch of angel funding, which they later sold three years later. Throughout his career, he has started five companies, and these days he is a speaker, trainer, author, and consultant. I met Roger through my involvement in the National Speakers Association, and this year he earned his CSP designation, which stands for Certified Speaking Professional, and actually I'm very proud to say I earned mine as well at the same time that Roger did. But throughout his career as a speaker, he has actually built a global brand teaching people how to do webinars. He's sort of the webinar guy now, and actually with his career of what he teaches and how he does it, he actually travels only about 20% of the time compared to what other speakers do. So what he's done is sort of entrepreneurial and taken being a speaker and taken it online. Uh, and he actually thinks that entrepreneurship and small business is the future savior of the world. So let's talk about that. Roger, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the intro. And, and I do believe it is the savior of the world. I think that the human initiative and the spirit of creativity of going out and solving somebody else's problem and then perhaps even getting paid to do it is uh, something that we need more of. Well, that's why we started this show. And hopefully, you know, people who would tune in to listen to a show called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do will agree with you. So, Roger, tell us a little bit about you and your business. Well, you know, I backed into the web conferencing industry in 1999, web conferencing being the, the enabling technology for what we might now know as webinars, virtual classrooms, webcasts, that kind of thing. And uh, quite fortunately, have clients all over the world. Uh, just did a, a gig for 500 people in Australia last night, uh, albeit without leaving my office here in Portland, Oregon. But uh, increasingly, easy for me to say, right? Increasingly in the last couple of years, I've been just talking about the intersection of trends and technology and communication and, and collaboration, which has led to this thing that I call connectorship, which is really one of how do we live authentic, connected lives in a digital world? Because, you know, the most frequent question that anybody asks in a webinar is, how do I engage an audience that I can't see? So anyway, there it is in a nutshell. Well, and that's actually a question that people ask when they're engaging an audience live at a conference. I mean, being engaging to people is hard. So tell us a little bit more about how you've embraced that as the core of your business. Well, I'll take you back. Remember Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. And while I don't 100% agree with everything that he said, really kind of the core was that, uh, and they now refer to it as the medium theory or the uh, transmission theory of communication, which is that the medium through which we communicate transforms how I send a signal and how you receive, not unlike today being audio only. We do different things than if we had some kind of a visual signal. So whether it's salespeople moving uh, sales demos online or marketers generating leads or virtual trainers, trainers moving classroom experiences into a virtual world, we would be stupid to say that it's the same. It's all a question of adaptation where most people stop However, before they get past the discomfort is discovering what you can do new or uniquely or often even better in a new medium. And that's ultimately what we help people have little aha moments about as they uh, figure out how to transform their business. 
So you have been on this entrepreneurial journey for quite a long time. So your bio said that, you know, you had a startup that got sold to Microsoft. Did you work in a more traditional sort of corporate job before that? Uh, well, yes, several. And in fact, you know, Tom, I have a confession. I actually started a company when I was about eight years old fixing toys, made about six bucks before I quit. So I, I lied. That's, <laughs> there that's was actually more- a sixth company in there, if you want to call it that. <laughs> That's that $6 more than some people make in their whole entrepreneurial life. So good job. So what you had started off working in a more traditional job, sort of in between the eight-year-old toy company and uh, and selling a company to Microsoft. Well, what did you do yeah. in the traditional world? I mean, I got, into the, I got into computers in the late 80s because that's where the music software was, uh, and specifically for Macintosh, and later ended up in the, uh, in the you know, computer industry just by virtue of having some, having some knowledge. So the, the, the road to entrepreneur had several startup uh, – What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, missteps along the way, but in fact, that's how you learn, right? It's it's I think, uh, and and it's easy to say it's a cliche. We hear it in the world of entrepreneurs all the time that we have to fail forward, but uh, it isn't without those stubbing of one's toes. From one time I got some funding, and then right before we opened the doors of the company, the uh, the backer pulled out, and we got pulled left holding the bag. And, um, you know, to some successes from going from startup to Microsoft and then getting a couple million bucks of angel funding and and learning the ropes with a set of investors who have a different set of expectations than we do as product or service developers. So do you think that you were always drawn into this entrepreneurial life or did you sort of fall into it? You know, I think that would have been something we should have been teaching kids in school and I and or I should say in in an aptitude test sort of sense I fell into it because I what I figured out is that I am a problem solver and a creative and it's the just the the vision of going hey there's a better way to do that that led me down the path of going well I think I can do it better than somebody else and let's go start a company to do that so what do you absolutely love about the life of an entrepreneur well, uh, that ability for one to create something in accordance with one's vision, however it is that you're helping somebody have that aha moment or use a product that, that makes their eyes light up or solves, uh, solves an issue for them. Uh, probably the flip side of the very same coin is, is the, um, the fact that you still have to run a business. You don't just get around like you and I now as speakers, trainers, coaches, idea people. We don't just get to sit around and speak all day. In fact, at some point, I've actually got to talk to my accountant. Quite fortunately, there are accountants in the world. Well, and that's right, because Lord knows I'm not an accountant, but I, but I have one, so that's good. So, you know, one of those things that I love and I hate is just the fact that I can work any 14 hours a day. <laughs> that's right. Well, in fact, uh, one of my past guests said that uh, that's what they learned was that as an entrepreneur, you know, you get to choose the 22 hours a day you want to work. Yeah, but, you know, when, when, you're, when you're on a mission – it doesn't feel like work, right? And so the, the love part of that is that I can make sure that if I need to blow out of the office at four o'clock to go uh, get a little guy to baseball practice, I can do that, uh, even if I've got to make up that time somewhere else. Well, and I, you know, I told, tell people all the time that my hobby is my business. Like people say, oh, do you golf or do you do this? I love working on this business. I love finding ways to to connect with new clients. I love finding ways to improve the, the product offerings that I have. So to some extent, you know, working all the time is not a bad thing when you like it as much as I do. And I think you probably feel the same way. Well, yeah. In fact, I I think of it very much like my art because, you know, I'm also a songwriter and have, have my own artistic side, but very much 
the way that you think about crafting the ideas or the speech or the PowerPoint or the, the, the interactions in a training session is, is very much an artistic endeavor. And you're right, it's not work. There's times, there are times when it's work, but, uh, but by and large, passion is a, is a beautiful thing to live in in a day-in and day-out capacity. So do you think that entrepreneurs have to have a passion for their company, their product, their service? I'm not sure you're going to make it if you don't. If you're driven by money, uh, you're going to live a sad life, my, my, <laughs> my humble opinion. <laughs> so throughout your journey, what has been like the most rewarding parts of being an entrepreneur? I think the most rewarding part is getting that, that nod of approval. Uh, and for me, it can it can be as simply as simple as somebody tweeting me. Uh, just experienced last night, somebody tweeting me going, "You just changed my life." You know what? Uh, the money happens after that, and when you have an impact for somebody, uh, the money is just a a, a ruler. Uh, the, I think it, for me, it's that day in and day out opportunity to do something that I need to give to the world. And in fact, in this case, um, you know, the, the the world responds by by feeding me and my kids. So you're kind of an anomaly in our business and the fact that you don't travel as much as most speakers and trainers and consultants because you do so much of your training over the web, which always, whenever I I think about Roger and and your business, I always think of the fact that it's sort of a double dose of entrepreneurship because you're doing what we all do in a different way using a different technology. So, you know, you said you were speaking to Australia yesterday. Don't you sometimes wish that you were being paid to go to Australia? Ah, uh, Well, in fact, uh, I was just there about seven months ago. I've been to Australia a couple times on on speaking tours. But, you know, I think here's one of the things that, and this is probably just particular to me. I love to travel, traveled the world as a kid with my dad in the military. On the flip side of the coin, when you do it for work, it's just a long commute. So doing it when I've got some some of my terms involved is great, or just occasionally like when I was down there. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, I went home and slept in my own bed last night, which is for me infinitely better than sleeping in a hotel. So tell me a little bit about connectorship. You know, just like leadership is the act and art of of leading. I think that this sub and this is near and dear to our hearts, and I know for you too, that you know we need to make connections with people. Uh, you know, I, John Maxwell's got a book called "Everybody Communicates, Few Connect," and that was actually for me a catalyst. Even though I hate the book, um, going, you know, that's the problem. It's just like when people say, "How do I engage an audience that I can't see when I'm when I'm speaking at a webinar?" Really, they've, we see that same problem day in and day out, whether it's Twitter or your internal social network at a large company, and it's really this this how does how does humanity adapt through technologies with which they are not familiar. If I'm going to call you, I just say, hey, I'm going to talk to Tom. I don't say I'm going to do phone, right? <laughs> but, but we hear, I'm going to do Twitter all the time. Like, and, and that's why it never gets done because we just sit down and broadcast at people and create more noise. And noise is part of the problem in the world. What we need is connections, um, albeit uh, at a technologically enabled, but we still need real human connections. Well, I like to tell people when we talk about networking that networking is not a verb. You don't go networking. It's a lifestyle. And if you look at it as a task, you're always going to run into problems. Exactly. Well, and I just told the audience last night, I said, look, if you think of social media or how you exist in a digital neighborhood, uh, like you think of it and you think of it as a project, like I need to carve out 30 minutes a day to do Twitter, um, you, it's never going to get done. Nobody's got time for extra projects. It's just part of it's just part of how you dress yourself. 
So this this stuff you teach, this connectorship, this uh, connectorship, this trends and technology intersecting. I mean, this really isn't just for your company. This is true for all your clients. I mean, everybody benefits from this, right? Well, yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and I happen to know you from both NSA and then uh, multiple social media networks to know that you live it as well, which is, you know, you live authentically online. But yeah, when I'm working with a, with a client, it tends to be taking things that we already know how to do in terms of how we connect and collaborate, whether that's listening skills or, or presentation skills or, or we'll call it networking with some quotation marks around. It, it really is more about how do we retain the humanity in this and not sound like an idiot because somehow we haven't adapted to the medium. What we can do in Facebook is different than Twitter, is different than SharePoint inside of a large organization. Really, the question is how do we retain that humanity? But, but um, take advantage of the scale the technology brings. Right? I love speaking in person, speaking and training in person as much as anybody. But if we hold on with white knuckles to the experiences that happen in person, we miss an opportunity for scale. And you and I both and everybody listening to this right here all know people that live at the other end of scale. They just look like they've got Twitter mastered, but they're but they miss the intimacy and connection and the the influence they have an opportunity to bring in the in-person experience. So switching gears a little bit, if you were to give some advice to somebody who maybe wants to jump off of the corporate wheel and go work for themselves, either to start a company with, with angel funding or venture backing and, and grow it like you have done, or somebody who wants to go and be a solopreneur and, and sell their ideas and their knowledge and their time, what advice would you give to that person on, on how to go about doing that? More than once, I've made a very large mistake which is you sit out with some set of projections. Here's how here's what I'm going to sell, here's what who I'm going to sell it to, here's how much money I can make. And then I create some kind of a projection of what my time to cash flow neutral or or profit is. And every time no matter how conservative I've been, I've always been overly optimistic. So the just one be aware that the risk of your optimism, your insight, your your um, enthusiasm for what it is that you know you can do takes you longer than it ever you might ever have thought. And in terms of quitting your day job, whether you are well-funded or you are figuring out how to get funded, um, I wouldn't quit your day job until you absolutely had to. Well, and that's, you know, my plan originally when I went into this was I was going to work for two more years and save a lot of money. So I'd have a year's worth of my family's income saved and put away and I got laid off. So sometimes you kind of get pushed out of the nest. What happens if someone gets pushed out of the nest and, you know, they, they don't have any other choice? Well, and, you know, you could speak to this as well as I do. One, don't spend money on anything you don't have to spend any money on. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you think you need that you don't need, whether it's, I mean, I've got... I've got envelopes around here with old logos on them, <laughs> right? And now, yeah, I don't, I, I don't need a thousand envelopes with old logos on them. And I think so. One is just maintaining, or I should say, minimizing output in terms of cash. And then second is iterate. No matter what you think in in the marketplace is going to sell or, or what you think you can go monetize, there's nothing like actually selling it and being in front of a customer to help refine that. In fact, when we got the couple million bucks of angel funding, the, the investors actually looked at us right square in the eye and said, you know what? The number of companies that we invest in that three years later are doing the same thing that they started out to do are very small. We're investing in a team that we trust can figure it out. And this is people worth at the time they were worth about 600 million bucks and, and just telling us what they saw as they gave us 2 million of it. 
Well, it is true because I think that I have discovered in my five and a half years running my own business and working for myself that the path has changed. The products and services that I offer has changed. But at the same time, the joy I have of running down that path hasn't changed. So I think you have to be willing to be able to flux and realize that things are going to be different. And your other piece of advice about, you know, being very conservative with spending money, uh, a guest on the third or fourth episode of this show, Jessica Pettit, who I know is a friend of yours, you know, that was one of her pieces of advice was it's so easy to think, oh, I have to have everything now. I have to have everything now. So you put it all on a credit card and you spend that sometimes that keeps you from being able to enjoy the the fruits of your labor that come later because you're paying off a bunch of stuff you bought. So her advice was the same thing. Don't spend what you don't have to do. Yeah. Well, and actually in, in that example, I mean, remember the old proverb or adage that uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. You know, one of the things that I experienced was, uh, you, you know, the, my current business has been around for about eight years. And I talked to a friend of mine who is an investor and invested in one of the previous companies and said, hey, here's the plan. Here's the whatever. What do you think about uh, some funding, et cetera? And he says, you know what? I would do. He says, I would self-fund as long as you can. He says, no one is going to have your vision, your insight, your instinct for the, or that kind of stuff. And that ability for you to get down the road and pivot, uh, as you respond to market needs is just not the timetable that they operate on. And more importantly, now you're going to have to go back explaining to them something that they're not going to understand. And you probably are operating on instinct as much as you are science and, and you need the flexibility. He says, you want and need that flexibility. You've got, you've proven that you've got the track record. Don't, uh, don't borrow money and become a slave to an investor. So, Roger, my favorite question that I ask everybody who comes on this show is to tell us about something cool that you see someone else doing. You know, it's really easy for us to get caught up in our own businesses because we live them. We are the product doing what I do or what you do. And sometimes we forget that, you know, that's not the coolest thing out there. And so I always like to ask people, what's something you see another entrepreneur doing? Doesn't have to be in your industry, but something that you think, wow, that's someone to watch. Two things come to mind. Uh, one, Stanford hosts a podcast that, that I listen to almost weekly called the Entrepreneurial Podcast or something really creative like that. But it's brilliant because they're right in the middle of Silicon Valley. So if you want some inspiration, there's one one thought. But the other, the other thing that comes to mind is actually you, Tom, because I think that one of the challenges in our world right now, back to the trends thing, is that is that the way that we ultimately earn credibility and trust and therefore build businesses is means we need to get the word out but the, but none of us can outspend or uh, or spend enough money to cut through the noise and the one thing that you do really well is curate Right, whether in your old blog series, and maybe you still run it, uh, where you just say, "Hey, here's some cool things my friends do." Right. And well, in fact, this this podcast this podcast is a spinoff of cool things my friends do. My friend James Hahn said that should be a podcast, and I kept thinking, who would tune into something where I just talk about my friends? And I talked to a lot of people, and they said, "Well, so many of your friends that you write about are entrepreneurs, or they're launching products. Why don't you make it cool things entrepreneurs do?" And I think you are the sixth episode. Episode, Roger, so far, everybody up to now and, and for the foreseeable future, the next few guests actually are people I know personally. So this is really cool things my entrepreneurial 
friends do. Although, you know, over time, as I sort of find my voice and gain an audience, you know, what's great is I can interview anybody. But it, it is this whole this whole thing we're chatting about right now spun out of those weekly blog posts. Which which I think whether you got there because you're brilliant or you got there because you just entirely backed into it. To me, I think there's something that's interesting about that. One, it taps you into our networks because as soon as you publish this, I go share it out with my 20,000 Twitter followers. But yes, please do that. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Yep, very happy to. But the but but in the bigger picture, this is true even inside of an organization or or how you do Twitter, right? I mean, you don't want to follow me and pay attention to what I put on Twitter if all I do is talk about myself. So, you know, as long as I'm sharing content that's interesting and relevant, um, one of the things that I think is really powerful is be- is that is that you share stuff, even perhaps that is competitive. In fact, uh, I got a speaking gig because I saw somebody in my industry tweet out something that was the content of one of her competitors. And I and I responded to her. I said, hey, you just shared something that actually from one of your competitors. And that led to a telephone conversation that led to a speaking gig. And uh, ultimately later I hired her and she, well, she, the- she became an employee. So to me, the one of the powerful things that you can do is be a giver first and the money will – you can figure out the money later. Well, and I always teach people a term that I coined called cooperative significance. And the whole idea behind cooperative significance is we can fake success, right? You could rent a expensive car or, or buy an expensive suit and make people think, wow, he's really killing it out there. But you can't fake significance. Other people determine if you're significant. And if you want people to turn around and say, hey, what you're doing is really significant, you had better be doing that for other people. Because if you make it all about yourself, people are going to get tired of it really fast. So I, I believe this cooperative significance, if I can promote you, if I can promote several other people who I know, eventually someone's going to come back around and say, hey, let's, let us let me show you about this Tom guy. Exactly right. And, and if anybody listening to this needs any corroboration, and Tom, you probably saw this, but it was about uh, sometime early 2013, some Somebody did an analysis of the number of Twitter profiles that had the word guru or expert or something like that in it. And it was like – at the time, it was like 180,000 people calling themselves gurus. And how much more evidence do you need, right? That's part of why – and I love your cooperative significance thing. But that's part of why we actually just need to go out and do good work, build good relationships, and, um, and somebody else can do the talking about whether or not you're a guru or not. So I shouldn't call you the guru of doing webinars? You can call me that. I cannot call me that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, and, and part of that is is giving to other people, right? I mean, part of it is is that when we can help other people succeed, we succeed more. You know, Cavett Robert, the founder of the National Speakers Association, you know, had a saying that it's not about getting your slice of the pie. It's about growing the pie so everybody can have a bigger slice. And I probably just messed up his his quote, but you get the concept that if we make it better for everybody, we're all going to find more success. If we have a, a closed, you know, sort of a finite pie attitude, then everybody's going to be fighting over the crumbs. Well, I, I'm a firm believer, which is part of why uh, part of why I love NSA. But especially in today's world, because you know some things are fixed or finite, right? If I want to give away some of my money, there's only so many of those uh, greenbacks in the bank account. But if I give away ideas or or something, I mean, my marginal cost is nothing. And uh, and in fact, I love that. In fact, I often think of not that I'm perfectly a good a great analogy of the old country doctor, but you know, you remember think of the old country doctor who used to make house calls. And you know that the country doctor has to get paid sometimes or he or she doesn't feed his or her own kids, right? 
on the flip side of the coin, what does the, what did the old country doctor do? If 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 Aunt Mabel needs some help, you go help Aunt Mabel, and if Aunt Mabel can't pay you or pays you in chickens, well, you, that's just part of part of the give and take of of paying it forward. And I I, I love that part of being an entrepreneur because I give away a, a huge chunk of myself because I love it and I love to to help people. So, Roger, I think that great entrepreneurs are givers. And so how do you give back to the greater good? I mean, sometimes with people, it's money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's just good vibes and support. What do you specifically do to give back? Well, I have several charities that I that I support, you know, in an ongoing on an ongoing basis. But the one of the main things is my time, which is probably more valuable than just about anything that we have to give. And um, I have a heart for speakers and entrepreneurs, and I never turn somebody down if they say, "Hey, you want to buy coffee?" Even if sometimes you know as well as I do, they what they want to do is get some free consulting out of a cup of coffee. I just figure, you know, doing the right thing, um, it will come back to you in the right way. Sometimes time. Well, so if somebody's listening right now and they think, I want to get a little bit of that Roger guy, how do they find Roger Corville and and when how can they find out more about your business? Well, the main blog with hundreds of blog posts about webinars and all that kind of stuff is thevirtualpresenter.com, T-H-E-virtualpresenter.com. And I've got a newer blog where I'm developing some of these new connectorship ideas at rogercorville.com. That is fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for being one of the early debut guests on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You are doing some very cool things, so you were the perfect person to have on the show. And again, thank you to everybody who tuned in to listen to this episode. We'll be back in a couple of days with yet another episode where we'll interview another entrepreneur who's doing something cool. All right, everybody, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at @TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great-sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.